Amen. Uh, let's pray together. And so, Lord, we um, thank you for the gift and privilege it is to be here uh, today. And thank you, Lord, for Scripture, which speaks to us and is our food. And so, Lord, uh, we recognize we do not live by human bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. So feed us, nourish us, equip us, uh, that our lives may be all that you've intended for the world. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. All right, thank you. Please be seated, everybody. Welcome. Great to have you here, and uh, uh, happy uh, Lunar or Chinese New Year to many of you. Absolutely. I, and I want you to know, I said to some of our Chinese folks on the way out, I said, I want you to notice I got my red on, you know, it's the year of the rooster. And, and then one of them said, well, you kind of look like the Italian mafia to me with all the black on. And so much for that cross-cultural moment. So... Uh, we are on a series on Abraham called Following God, Lessons from the Life of Abraham. And uh, today I'm going to pick it up. Uh, and our theme is patience, the key to a powerful life in God. Uh, patience, the key to a powerful life in God. So, so uh, we're going to look at the whole chapter 15, but I, I want to just read two verses as we begin uh, towards the end of the chapter, and we're going to end with this as well, all right? And it's a bit obscure, so you're not going to know probably what it means, but that's okay. Just hang in there. By the end, it'll hopefully it'll make a little bit of sense. Okay? It says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Now, the world we live in is very impatient and in a rush. In fact, if you feel like the whole world is passing you by because it's rushing so fast and you can't keep up, that's a legitimate feeling because it's true. Uh, things are moving very fast. Now, the uh, CEO of Google's Research and Development Lab uh, was recently interviewed on changes going on uh, in our society and in the world. And here's what he said. He says, a thousand years ago, when there was a technological or scientific breakthrough, it would generally take about 100 years for it to impact the world. By the year 1900, if there was a, a breakthrough such as the airplane invention or, or uh, something like cars invented, it would take about 20 to 30 years for it to impact the world. But it goes today in 2016-17, when there's a, a breakthrough in technology, uh, something as simple as like mobile phones or broadband uh, connectivity or like cloud computing, the impact of that technological breakthrough, it only takes five to seven years to change the world. And so it looks something like this. Technology is changing so rapidly that it's going like this now. And so, but the, the, the issue is that human adaptability, like our ability to absorb these kind of rapid changes happening in our lives, it, we can only take so much emotionally intellectually to absorb what's happening. And he goes, so this is our adaptability. Our capacity is like this. The problem is, because of technology, you need to be here because it's happening so fast. My daughter's a senior in college. She says to me, Dad, like, I need to be like full-time just keeping up with the news. I just can't even keep up, let alone my studies. And uh, that's just information. But there's this, there's this tension that we feel of like things moving so fast. Another way to look at it is, this comes from another futurist named Richard Swenson. And he studied human history since it's been, human history has been recorded for the last 5,000 years. But in terms of change, 
There's so much change in the last 30, he argues, that it makes the rest of human history look like a flat line. That's why it can feel like things are a bit dizzy. I mean, just think with me for a minute. You know, Estonia, the town, the city, the country of Estonia, a small country uh, near Russia, Ukraine, one of the Baltic states, they teach uh, computer coding in the first grade. Now, some of you are saying, what, what's computer coding? What's that? I mean, do you understand that when Amazon invented the one-click checkout, I mean, we're so used to it now we don't think about it. I'm talking about, they say, fast, free, easy, invisible. Fast, free, easy, invisible. So you click, you click and boom, your food appears the next day on your doorstep. Why go, why go shopping? Why waste all that time? Now you can get a refrigerator the next day, you know. And it used to be just a book. And you can pay actually for same day, can't you? You know, get the same day. Now, Walmart has discovered this. I don't know if you're aware, but Walmart has spent billions of dollars to catch up to Amazon. And so they have studied this thing intensely, and they can tell the difference of how much money it costs them if things are literally a millisecond slow. I'm talking about a thousandth of a second. That when, you, when you're searching, right, to buy something, and you're searching you want to buy that for every half a second you add to the time it takes to hit that button and get a response, they realize it costs them for every half a second millions of dollars a day. A day for a half a second. Now, and funny, one of our, one of our members here works for FedEx and delivery. He says, he goes, you're right about Walmart is all over it right now, all over getting in that market. And uh, I, don't if, I don't know if some, some of you remember this, but we used to, like, order a DVD to be e- mailed to our house. Do you remember those days? It was a long time ago. But now, you know, you just click a button. It's instant. You get the movie. Now They did, they did a study of 6.7 million Internet users downloading movies. And they found out that people are willing to be patient for how long? Two seconds for that movie to be there in front of them. Now, they say if it takes five seconds, they found that you lose 25% of the people. If it takes 10 seconds, you will lose half your audience. So you got two seconds. So, now listen, I'm a New Yorker, right? So, you know, when you live in New York a long time, you get a little bit crazy, you know? It's kind of twitches and things like that, you know? So I used to finish other people's sentences. But I don't do that anymore. Now I finish my own. It's a lot faster that way. You watch. I'll do it later. I'll get all excited. I'll start finishing my own sentences. So, see, in a culture which is moving that quick, you don't understand, like, we naturally just bring that over to faith, like in how we, how we live out our spiritual lives, how, how, how we understand following Christ. And so, uh, but this issue of patience is so key uh, because if you don't get patience and understand the place of patience in in your spiritual development growth and maturity you will never grow up spiritually you will forever be a baby an immature in other words your you have an unrepeatable destiny your life there's nobody like you on the face of the earth never was never will be for you to reach that destiny of the gift of your life is going to require that you get this thing called patience 
I mean, you, you, you have a, a gift to bring to the world, the aroma of Christ. You, you have fruit to bear. Uh, your life is to be a blessing. Okay, to get there, you're going to have to learn patience. I mean, uh, there, there's the transformation of your inner person. I mean, God wants to change you deeply. Okay, pull some things out of you, put some maturity into you in some kind of depth. To get there, it's going to require uh, patience. I mean, friends, for you to, to, to have a, uh, a life that's got peace and joy and anchoredness amidst all the exterior chaos around us and difficulties is going to require patience to grow into that kind of maturity. So we're going to look at Abraham because Abraham's life is really a journey. You're watching him grow into maturity, but you're going to watch there's a theme in all these chapters of Abraham's life, and it's really patience. And we're going to pick it up here in chapter 15. The reason he becomes a great man with great destiny, great purpose, great impact is because the guy integrated this thing called, uh, we're going to call it patience. So, so here's a definition of patience. It's, it's just from, actually, this is from a dictionary. This is nothing. It's, look it up. But it works. It's the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Now, I know that's not you. <laughs> but you have a friend or family may, na- member that needs it. So let me read it again. Patience is the capacity or, to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. So now Abraham is, is called in the Bible the father of us all. What that means is uh, all those in faith. What that means is that as you look at Abraham and you look at the journey of his life, you will see his ups and downs and struggles. And in watching him Uh, we observe the same things that you and I are going to encounter as Christ followers. And so we see him, for example, in Genesis 12, God calls him, says, leave everything. And basically, come follow me. Leave family, leave culture, leave country, and go to the land I will show you. And he doesn't know where he's going, but he he follows God and and goes on his 500-mile literal journey to what's called the promised land, to the land of Canaan. And, uh, and, And God is in no hurry to explain to him what's going on just like God's in no hurry to explain to you what's going on. And, uh, and so in Genesis 15 is our text. We're going to pick it up right here because he is now about 85 years old and he is struggling with where God is. And God has promised him a child, but there's been no child. Nothing. And uh, no fulfillment. And in fact, it's, it's, he's going to go up to be like almost 100 and he's still not going to have a child. And he's waiting. He's trying to be patient. But you'll see throughout these, these uh, chapters this struggle with patience uh, and God's assuring him. Now understand, to not have a child in the ancient world, Abraham's time, was, uh, this is not an overstatement, it was a disaster not to have a child, to be two parents without one because there was no one, first of all, to carry on the family name. Uh, There was no one for your inheritance, but more importantly, there's no one to take care of you because there is no social net to catch you like we have today. There's no one to even bury you. And, and, uh, and so uh, it was considered a shame. It was considered an embarrassment. There was something wrong with you. So he is carrying for decades this sense of failure, being a loser. Um, and uh, he struggles and he has fears. And so God shows up here in chapter 15 in his struggle. Now I want you to, as we read this passage, I, I want you to try to enter his suffering to enter his pain, to enter his struggle, okay? So chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord 
came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid. He's full of fear. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. Your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. So here he is. He said, God, you know, I, you've promised me a child. There's nothing here, okay? So I'm going to do what everybody else does. What they do is they take their servant. They basically make him like their son. They give him an inheritance, blah, blah, blah. That's, so, God, so he's struggling. So he gives God an alternative plan. And uh, God speaks. And God says, uh, verse 4, the, Lord's, uh, the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. No, you're not going to do that. A, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So, so God said, listen, Abraham, I know, I know you're in your late 80s and 90s. There's no child. Your body's as good as dead. That's what it says in Romans. His body was as good as dead. It says that Sarah's body was as good as dead. In other words, humanly speaking, there's no baby coming, all right? She is way past menopause. <laughs> way past. So it's impossible for her to have a baby. And God says, I told you, I promised you, you will have a child. And he goes, not only are you going to have a child, you're going to have so many children, it's going to be like the stars. And you can't even count them. Now listen, in the Milky Way galaxy, there are a hundred billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, they say, there's a rough estimate here, there's 10 trillion galaxies that we know of. That means if you multiply the 100 billion times the 10 trillion, you get one gazillion. <laughs> one with 24 zeros afterwards. So you understand God saying, Abraham, that's how many children you're going to have. Now understand, he's in his late 90s now. And God says, be patient. Trust me. I got you covered. You know, stay with me. So it says, you know, Abraham believed the Lord. And it was credit to him as righteousness. So he, okay, so, okay oh, got it. But then like two minutes later, oh, yeah, but. Sovereign Lord. Because God didn't just promise him children as the stars of the sky. He promises him the land, all the land of Canaan. Now, understand, that would be the, God says, I'm going to give you all the land. Now, understand that it's like living in Manhattan in the Lower East Side in like a 400-square-foot apartment, and God says, all of Manhattan, you'll own the whole thing. <laughs> I'm renting an apartment. They're kicking me out in three months. You're going to own the whole place. Patience. And so what God does, like I says, the Lord says, now bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And this was commonly done. And he brings them to him, and he cuts them in two and arranges the half opposite each other, the birds, whoever he did not cut in half. So you know, God says, bring these animals, cut them in half, and it looks like this. All right? Now, in those ancient times, what they would do is, if we were making an agreement, a contract, uh, you'd, do the, you'd do the animal cutting, shedding of the blood, and a covenant, it's called cutting a covenant with the shedding of blood. You both would walk through it. Let's say it's Linda. Linda and I make an agreement, uh, whatever, a contract. We both walk through the dead things, basically saying, if you don't fulfill your part of the bargain, I kill you. You die, you know, or, or the contract's done. Now, in this case, what happens is this. Watch this. 
Next verse. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, now understand, that's a, that's a um, it's called theophany. It's, it's, um, it, it's a, it's a, it symbolizes the presence of the living God. So this is God shows up in his presence in a torch and a fire pot. And God shows up and he, he walks between the pieces. God. And then the Lord, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. He makes a promise to Abraham. To your descendants, I give this land. He's living in the basement on the Lower East Side. Do you understand? From the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hittites, all the ites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Can- lots of ites. <laughs> and God's saying this. I want you to try to hear this. See, in most, you understand, in every time you did this, Every time you did it, both parties would walk through. Basically saying, you keep your side of the bargain, I'll keep my side of the bargain. But in this covenant God makes with him, says, only God walks through. And God says this, even if you are faithless, I will be faithful. And I will kill myself if I don't fulfill every promise I have spoken to you. Think about that. God, how are you going to kill yourself? You're right. It's impossible for me, the living God, to kill myself, just like it's impossible for me, the living God, to not fulfill every promise I have said to you. Now, be patient, Abraham, and hang in there. It's pretty deep, isn't it? Only God walks through. I'll kill myself before I don't fulfill my promise to be with you and everything I've spoken to you. So be patient. Now, Think of, every time we, take the, we do the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, Jesus says in, um, uh, at the end of the Gospels, when he gives the bread and the cup, cup and the Lord's Supper, he says, this is the blood of my covenant given for you. And Jesus says, I walk through that thing for you. That, that's what communion is. On that cross, you can bank on me. I died for you. I shed my blood to make a covenant for you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always, and I love you. And you can bank on me and bank your life on it and be patient and trust me. Same thing. Jesus fulfills it in the, in, in the covenant, the new covenant in Christ. So um, just try to imagine with me for a minute. Okay, so here's, here's Abraham. In, in ensuing chapters, he says, he's, you know, he's like late 90s. And God changes his name from Abraham to Abraham. And he changes Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah. And what Abraham means is this. Father of nations. And then Sarah's name means mother of nations. So God changes his name. So he, his name means fathers of nations. He doesn't have one kid. I would just try to imagine. And Sarah's name means mother of nations. She doesn't have a child. So imagine, hey, you see him with the deli. Hey, hey, what's up? You know, how's it going? Abraham? You change your name to Abraham? Father of nations? Like, like hello. Oh, it's your wife, Sarah, mother of nations? Like, hello. He's a laughing stock. He looks foolish. He looks, you know, crazy. But God's saying, you can bank on me. Patience, you, you, you can trust me. So to understand this text, and how does Abraham stay with it? You have to look at, I, I think the best text that opens up this passage for us is James 1, 2 to 4. It's, it's a passage worth memorizing. But where James says this, Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith 
produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So let's just start this word. Uh, he goes, you can be patient. You can have rest. You can be joyful because whenever you face trials of many kinds, now let me ask you. Now, here's the word trials means. Trials refers to hard times, suffering, affliction, and adversity. Trials refers to circumstances that strip you of control and deprive you of the happiness that you want. Now, how many of you in this room know trials? There's big trials, medium trials, and little trials. They come in all shapes and sizes, but they come to every one of us. They're going to come to us. So, so just for Abraham, what I, wonder, I often wonder, like, what was it like for Abraham to be laughed at? For all those years. Father of nations, you know. What was it like for him to, be, to look stupid? Have you ever looked stupid? Like, he looks stupid. To be so lonely, like no, one, no one's with He's all by himself. He doesn't have a church or fellowship. You know, and, and uh, you know, I ponder his sufferings. And I ponder his sufferings that lasted decades. And I think, I, I, don't, think, I don't think I would have made it, personally. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I would have hung in there for like he did. I, I mean, how many of us would have been utterly despairing in our late 90s saying, man, God just, <laughs> or disappointed, so severely disappointed uh, and disillusioned? You know, I, I think many of us would say, you know, God, I've been faithful to you, but you've not been faithful to me. Like, I, I did my part, like, I'm, but you, you, you're not coming through on your part. And I'm just, I'm just a part, I'm, I'm disgusted. And so in chapter 15, you know, for Abraham, you know, the, the problem of suffering, it's, it's, not a, it's not really primarily an intellectual problem. It's really primarily an emotional. I mean, it's, it's just like you feel it in your gut. Like for Abraham, it's like, okay, I got you, know, God, you promise, but I am, I am deeply in pain here. Deeply in pain. Childless. My late 90s. You know, where are you? And so I mean, I, I hope you know what that's like. And that's where he is in chapter 15. He's got to make a choice. Do I, do I trust God in patience or do I basically abandon him? And say, this, this Christianity, it's not, it's not working for me. Now, it's funny. I remember when I became a Christian, uh, and I was 19. And I remember people talking about Jesus and, oh, you know, it's great. It'll change your life, a wonderful life. You follow Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, I do not want to surrender my life to Jesus. He will ruin it, Okay. It'll be a drag. I want to have fun. And then I'll become a Christian the day before I die. <laughs> because I, I'm figuring, this is, you know, I mean, the idea of patiently God's going to work it out to a great life, I couldn't see it. But fortunately, I, you know, God did it for me. You know, he kind of pulled me into the kingdom. It's true. I was patient, but it's trying to be a phenomenal life in God, a joy in a, that I, the world could never offer. But, but it was patience, right? I mean, I, some of you in this room, and I've met some of you, you know, and you're scared about the future. And I say, listen, just ask God, like, what does he have for you? You're in your 20s or 30s or 40s and, or 50s or 60s. And ask God, what does, he, what does he want for your future? Ask him for direction. He'll guide you. Oh, I don't. But I realize there's a fear because I want to know exactly where we're going. I want to know, exa- know it's going to be good. And the idea of patience, just, just trust him. Patience. Uh, or, or, you know, like, like, you know, you say, I'd like to marry. I'd like, I'd like to get married. Or I'd like, to, I'd like to get my marriage in a better place. You're like, I'm waiting for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. I'm like, oh, gosh, you know. And, 
And, uh, you know, Gus, I'll take care of patience. You know, you know, patience. You know, or, or think of parenting. Some of you are helicopter parents or drone parents. You're crazy, out of control. You know, you want your kid to have every advantage in the world. You're so uptight, and, and you're driving him or her crazy. And now they're in their 40s. That only getting, you know. And, and, and part of patience is, is really letting that child go as they grow older and not trying to be God in their lives and saying, God, I want your will for his or her life, not mine. Um, I mean, how many young people, I, I meet you here, you know, I say, oh, gosh, Pete, I'm, you know, I was reading this article in Forbes magazine, the 14 top billionaires under 40. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg, he's 32. He's worth $50 billion. I'm worth about 15 cents. I'm 28 years old. You know, I'm a loser. Seek first his kingdom. Be patient. Everything will be added on to you. you know, don't think short term. Same thing with gen- every generosity is always that. You know, every time, I, every year, I'm, you know, to give, you know, faithfully and give, my, give money. But I just give money, give my time, give my forgiveness, give, give freely. You know, it's always that thing about, well, what about my security? You know, I, like, how about me now? And I thought it would go away as I got older. It doesn't go away. It's just with you. But it's like, no, God says patience. Trust me. Give, it will be given to you. Just patience, you know? And we can go on and on. I mean, you know, when, when you've got a family member or a friend or maybe yourself and you've got cancer or ALS or Alzheimer's and you're really like, oh my God, this is awful, you know? And God says patience. You know, patience. I'm on the other side. I'm in control of life and, and death. Or you had a dream that got shattered and you're like, oh my gosh. God, my, my life, I had this dream. What was gonna, my life was going to flow out A, B, C, D and I'm on, I'm on Z. And you're just like, I, I, I just, I want to run away. God says, patience. Trust me, patience. Stay, stay with this thing. One of my favorite authors, um, Christian authors, is a guy named Jerry Sitzer. And he's a professor out at uh, Pacific Northwest. And uh, he's a writer. Uh, and so he, 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 in 1991, he was in a van with uh, his family. And a drunk driver came at 90, 100 miles an hour and smashed into his van. And uh, in that one accident, uh, his wife was killed, his mother was killed, and one of his daughters was killed instantly. And he talks about lying on the side of the road, and the drunk driver is alive, and somehow through some technicality, he gets off even in the court. Nothing. nothing. So the, 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 the enormous, enormous, talk about a test, right? But he's written about it, you know, and, and uh, he wrote, I think, one of the greatest books on, on grief and loss uh, and God called The Grief Disguised. Uh, it's a great book. I recommend it to you if, you if you've been in some deep grief. But he, out of his story and history has come such a revelation, you know, and such, he's, he's, a, he's a, you know, it's been about 30 years, you know, or 25 years, incredible revelation, who he is as a person, I, but it came out of patience. He stayed with God when everything in him wanted to run and quit. So, so I want to invite you just... You know, you know, take a deep breath and whew, what would it mean for me to be, a, be patient, you know, and trust God? Because hard times and trials come to everybody. There, nobody's exempt to that journey of Abraham. But it never leaves you the same, hardship. Uh, there's only two choices. One is you're angry. Uh, you know, we try to maintain control. And we're losing control. And so we just, we get angrier and our hearts get harder. That's one choice. Well, the other choice is, you know, basically you relax and you grow in love for God and others. So, so that, those are, really, those are your two fundamental choices of what happens. So, so when James says, listen, 
Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whenever, because they're going to happen a lot, and of many, many kinds. God's got an incredible variety. He's got trials with your name on it, all right? Because you know that the testing of your faith, and it's going to be a testing, it's going to be a fire, produces perseverance. Now listen, understand, guys, perseverance. If you're, different studies done on this, if you're a parent, and you don't let your child go through difficulties. Like, say you're a parent, you're always protecting that kid from, from some of the hardships and stresses of life. They have studies that you are hurting that kid because that child will grow up to be an adult and be a spoiled brat as an adult, expecting the whole world to conform to his or her wishes. Studies. This is not like just a theory. It's studies. Well, God knows he loves you enough that if you're going to become the extraordinary person that you are, if you're going to fulfill your unrepeatable destiny for your life, he must lead you or allow you to go through some trials, some tests, some fire like Abraham did, the father of us all. So let perseverance, you can learn perseverance. It must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I've said to God more than once, I don't need that much maturity. (laughs) But God loves you enough to bring you all the way. Seriously. To completion, to wholeness. And that, there's a lot in those Greek words. But you can picture this. In that process, God says, I'm going to pull out of you certain things that don't belong to me. Things like greed and hatred and selfishness and, and, and pride. There are things of your self-will that I'm going to pull out of you that only can happen on that operating table. And then in that moment, I'm also going to impart to you I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to infuse into you me. Because there'll be some space inside of you for me to actually fill you now. But it's going to come in those moments. But I don't want you to lack anything. I want you to become all that God's called you to become. And to get you there, I've got to put you through stru- trials. So I look at myself. My, my, there's no question for me over it. My greatest spiritual growth has come through my greatest trials. I mean, I don't like it. I'm sad to think what might lie ahead. I didn't say it too loud, did I? But you know, I mean, like, whether it, whether it was, I mean, my wife quitting and confronting my past and abuse and uh, betrayals and my own ugliness. I mean, I think of some of the deep seasons of my life without question have been a time of deep, you know, tremendous transformation. And I mean, but you see, you can go through hard times and kind of grit your teeth. I'm going to go through it. And you're, and you're still sitting in church, but you've not changed. Because you've not let him in. You've not really let him in to the hard parts. You with me? Like, we got religious people in churches that go through a lot of stuff, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, but they're arrogant, judgmental, and proud still. In fact, they're worse. Because now they got a veneer of God on, on it. But I'm talking about going through testings and allowing God to break you, allowing God to deeply transform you. That's painful. But it's liberating, it's freedom. It's life. Abraham became, he is the father of us all. You understand? You would not be here today if it wasn't for the journey of Abraham. We are the children of Abraham. Billions of people through history are the children of Abraham. It's all true. But um, it didn't come the way he wanted. Now, how many of you know the word? There's a word in English, if English is not your first language, it's called ambidextrous. Okay, you know that word? And the word ambidextrous means a person skilled in using both hands equally well. 
All right, so there are, there's actually 1% of the population, they say, that's ambidextrous. They can write with their one hand. They can write equally good with their other hand. I think it's fascinating, isn't it? There are ambidextrous trumpet players. I found out there's ambidextrous surgeons. I don't want him touching my body, but I'm, there's ambidextrous surgeons out there. Now, I learned the word ambidextrous from baseball because I played baseball as a kid. In baseball, there's what's called switch hitters, right? So they, they can, with their dominant side, they can bat. And an ambidextrous baseball player can also go the other side as well, righty or lefty, right, righty or left-handed. So now, actually, a, a young boy can learn to be a switch hitter. They can, they can actually learn to be ambidextrous, but very, very, very few bother because it's too much work. They just stick with what's easy. I'm better at this hand. I'm a right-hander. I'll, shoot, I'll, I'll pitch right-handed. So now, now here it is. There was a guy named Abba Theodore on the Desert Father in the 4th century, he wrote literally about an ambidextrous spirituality. And that is, it's a, a disciple who can follow Jesus whether it's adversity or prosperity. You're, 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 you can hit with your right or left. So, you know, some people, they can only do prosperity. I'm a good Christian as long as everything's going great. I'm praise Jesus, I'm awesome. <laughs> Things not going well, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't do that side. I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a switch hitter, you know. Um, and uh, he writes about how, you know, when you're maturing in Christ, you become an, you have an ambidextrous spirituality. It doesn't matter the circumstances around you, actually. You're like, jo- you're like Job. You're like Joseph. You are like Abraham. By the end of his life, Abraham is ambidextrous. It's unbelievable. Even, he's 120 years old, God says, kill your own. He has one son, finally. He's 120 years old. He's got one son, and God says, kill him. Could you imagine? I it took me 120 years. I got one. I'm supposed to have the stars, all right? I got one, and God says, slay him. I mean, seriously. And you know what? If you read the story of Genesis 22, I mean, he goes and he, he's ready to slay. Because it says in Hebrews 11, he's going to kill him because he knows that God will resurrect him from the dead. He's so sure. He's got such a deep confidence. He has matured. He is so ambidextrous. He is not uptight. He's not complaining. He's not cursing. He's good because he's been through so much now. He has so grown and deepened in his patience that if God wants me to kill him, he's going to rest. Whatever God wants, I'm fine. But I know that just like he walked through those, that, that covenant, he'll kill himself before he doesn't fulfill, fulfill his promise to me, and I can trust him. So at each, at each juncture where he's struggling and God's, he's wrestling back and forth, God is giving him fresh revelation. God is changing him. If he had had that child, Isaac, when he was 25, he never would have become what, he, what God meant for him to become. If, he, if God had given him that child when he was 45 or 55 or 65 or even 75, he would never have become the Abraham that we know today. There would never have been an Isaac and Jacob. There would never have been... Joseph and Moses and Pro- do you understand it? All Israel came out of this guy. But it, because of God's perfect timing, his patience with it, he became this extraordinary person of who he is. You know, I, I think often, imagine you're sitting with Abraham, okay? Imagine you're at the local Starbucks and you, in, in Canaan and sitting as your friend Abraham. You call him Abe for short. He's 98 years old. He's sitting there, and they say, let's imagine he's depressed. He's feeling forsaken. And you sit down next to him. You both get your coffee. And he says, what do you think? What would you say to him? 
Here's what I suspect many of us would say, things like this. I don't know, Abe, I don't know. Bad luck, man, just bad luck. Or you say, you know what? Karma, Abe, it's karma. You must have done something in a previous life to suffer like this. I don't know. You must be reaping what you've sown. I don't know. Like, why such suffering, you know? Or you'd say, you know what, Abraham? I look at you. I get so depressed. I don't think there is a God. I don't think there's a God. Or you know what, Abraham? There is a God. But you know what? He doesn't care about you, man. The way I'm looking at your life, like, I, I think he just forgot you. Or we'd say, like, you know what? Uh, you think you heard God? I don't think so, all right? I think you heard wrong, all right, man? You are off base. But Abraham somehow, he's patient. He's just, he's patient, and he stays the course. It's amazing. It's amazing. So do you understand? I, I don't know where you are today and what you're walking through, but God will reveal to you someday a delicate pattern and a plan that you cannot see right now. In fact, you will stand like many others who've gone before you, and you're going to worship God for his plan and purposes because you'll see it. Somehow, through all the trials and sufferings, he was actually there working something out. Heaven will reveal an eternal plan that was never in doubt, that was never on the edge of being defeated. And uh, one moment of heaven will make up for everything. Everything. So that's why this title is Patience, you know, the key to a powerful life in God. You know, an author, uh, a church historian, studied the first 300 years of the church, and he said the key to understanding the first 300 years of the church was their theology of patience. And you see a lot of sermons and books written on patience, that God's nature is patient, that he, he, he hundreds and thousands of years working with Israel, very patiently, God was never in a hurry, and Jesus Christ, the eternal patience himself with us. And the point is that God's not in a hurry. And okay, you may be getting persecuted the first 300 years. You may be going, losing your business. You may be getting killed in a, in a coliseum. Don't worry. God is working out a plan. Trust him. And he said for 300 years, they did that. And that patience overtook the empire. And then a guy named Constantine became the emperor and became a Christian. And they said for the first time in history... He, who, he was very impatient. So you know what he said? I got to make this whole Roman Empire Christian. So now he forces people to become Christians. And the, as a scholar says, that was, he wanted to convert the Roman Empire instantly. And they said it was the worst thing that ever happened to the church in 350 years because patience went out the window. Interesting, isn't it? So let me ask you, in what area of your life is God inviting you to patiently trust him? What's one area right now in your life where God is inviting you to patiently trust him? Now, again, here's our definition. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. So what's one, do you have one? Do you have one area? Because all I want to ask you to do is do a mustard seed of faith, just, just a mustard seed. You know, it's so funny. You know, mustard seed, said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, which is super puny and small, if you have just that to hang in there, God said, Jesus says, you'll move a mountain. I love the prayer. One of my favorite prayers is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So he said, I don't know if I believe. He said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's enough mustard seed. It's all he needs. That's a great prayer. I was with a woman this past week. Her son uh, and daughter-in-law and their three kids have been living for the last seven to eight years 
uh, in Kurdistan, outside Mosul. And she says it has been such a challenge for her. In the middle of a war zone is her grandkids and her son. And she goes, I have had to be patiently trust God and let it go. And he's actually there sharing Christ. Um, and that, you know, he teaches English as a second language. He's been very successful. But uh, that's why we have a great cloud of witnesses. Do you realize you have what Abraham didn't have? You have the Bible, the word of God's in your hands. We have fellowship. We have each other. We have courses. You know, we teach, we equip and, and do these courses. This Tuesday night starts the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. It's an eight-week course. Why are we teaching it? Because we want to get you like Abraham to learn patience. Discipleship is slow. Eight weeks, you got to read a book, you got to learn offices and silence and stillness. How are you going to learn this? This is hard. Absolutely. But to grow and mature, friends, requires this thing called discipleship and patience where God gets access to us and can change us. Do you understand what's at the other side of your struggle right now? Is I don't know where God is, is the love of God waiting and trying to pull you in. God's, it's God who is love. He loves you. He sees right where you are, and he sees your impatience. I'm ready to throw the whole thing out the window. And God says, hear my voice. Come follow me. That is a voice speaking to you. Come follow me. Not just the day you become a Christian. Every moment of every day, it's the Lord saying, come follow me. Patiently trust me. It's going to be great. But you have to be patient. But that voice, friends, is a voice That's a loving voice. So I want to invite you to take a a nice deep breath and just settle into a silence for a couple of moments. And, you know, in worship team, you can come forward because this personal, good, faithful God, he is speaking to you and he's revealing himself to you and he brought you here today and he's growing you and maturing you. He's enlarging your soul. You know, remember that verse in Genesis 15 when the smoke had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot, fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and patched me into pieces. Okay, that's it. So I want you to hear this. God says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, I mean it, God says. I'll kill myself before I don't fulfill that promise to you. When he says to you, do not be afraid. God said, I'll kill myself before I'm afraid of that. You know, if, if, you know I, I, I carry around in my wallet uh, this little Psalm 23 on a little piece of paper. And I, I pull it out, you know, often midday prayer. I'll just pull it out, and I, and I just meditate on it. You know, I memorized it. And, and I may just meditate on a line. And one line that I have meditated on for months and months is when the Lord says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And I just pondered. I said, you know, a day is going to come that I'll be in a shadow of death where it will literally be walking through the portals of death. And I'll have to be patient even then, right? Trusting that when I close my eyes and wake up on the other side, I will see him face to face. Do you understand? It's a, it's a promise that we never leave. And so for some of you, it, 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 that's why the scriptures are so important that we've we're got to have verses and we're consistently letting God speak to us and we're learning that. Um, even if you're faithful, faithless, God says in 2 Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me for a moment.
And open, open your hands up and we're going to pray. Do you understand? I, you cannot change yourself and I can't change myself. God changes us and makes us patient. We're not patient by nature. So I invite you, you know, again, in what area of your life is God inviting you to be patient and trust him? So we want to, all you can do is open up your hands and say, okay, God, I'm open. And it says in, Tertullian wrote in 200 AD, he says, where the Holy Spirit is, there is patience. And so, Father, I pray you'd fill everyone in this room right now, Lord. And you might impart the Holy Spirit's life and power in each one. That we may grow into men and women like Abraham. Patiently trusting you. Even when externally speaking, it doesn't look very good. So, Lord, fill us with an ability to be ambidextrous Christians in good and bad, trusting in you. I pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Let's sing together. The Lord's table is here to your left. I want to invite you to, you know, every time you take that Lord's Supper, you take the bread and dip it in the cup, just remember that. The Lord says, uh, you know, uh, this covenant, you know, I will never break. I'll kill myself before I'm not faithful to you. So it's about receiving that word from Jesus every time we take communion and trust. So we've got some tables, some prayer teams over there as well as we close. And uh, listen, we need each other on this journey. That's why we need fellowship to remain patient and staying with him over seasons of life. And there are many seasons of life for all of us. Uh, But our God is good and his love endures forever. And he loves you too much to spoil you. And he knows just the tests and just the trials and how much you can handle, although you may think it's more than you can. He knows. But he's going to bring you to like an Abraham or Sarah, to a place where your life is a blessing to the world. And you want to just trust him in that process. Okay, so feel free to come for prayer in the Lord's table. I invite you again to open your hands up towards heaven and receive a blessing as we close and go our way. So may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you and may his face shine on you and may the Lord enlarge your ability to have received from him now and may the Holy Spirit be poured out inside of you. May the Holy Spirit soak you now. May God work so profoundly in you by his fire and power that you would be a person like Abraham who stays patiently with God even when a large part of you wants to quit. And so may you hear the word of the Lord for you today to not fear, to not be afraid, and that he is with you as you walk with him. And so I bless you as you leave this place that your unrepeatable life might be a gift to the world. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Thank you, everybody. God bless you.